from MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. Today we go farm to fork. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with my buddy Carol Puckett. Today we want to hear what's going on in your summer kitchens. All across Mississippi, gardens and farmers are gearing up. We've had a lot of flooding issues. We hope it hasn't completely devastated our produce market. But we're going to hear about farmers markets, a great place to shop to get your farm to fork. We have two guests today, Robbie Sullivan from the Mississippi Farmers Market and cookbook author Sherry Castle from North Carolina to talk all about vegetables. We want to know what's going on with you and your summer table and your summer kitchen. Give us a call, one 877 672-7464 or email us at food mpbonline.org This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White with my buddy Carol Puckett. Hello, Carol. Good morning, Malcolm. Did you have a nice week and weekend? Oh, I had a good one. Good. It's always good when there's fishing. Yes. Watched a little baseball. Same here. Did a little cooking. A lot of baseball going on. Yeah, a lot, a lot of sports. Of there's the hockey playoffs. There's the uh, the college baseball playoffs. I mean, there's all sorts it's of all sports. All sorts of stuff. Thankfully, we're not a sports show. Yeah. and um, We're a food show. We're a food show. And speaking of food... What did you cook this weekend? Well, you know, I got into the tortillas this weekend, I, the flour tortillas. Uh, I cooked a uh, lunch of, of chicken uh, with black beans and rolled them up and made tacos, soft tacos out of them. But for breakfast yesterday morning, I also heated up in the skillet, toasted us ever so slightly the flour tortillas, and I, and I put some black beans and some avocados and some chopped tomatoes I got from the farmer's market, some onions, and then I fried two eggs and put on top of that and top that with some green and salsa and a little dollop of shack sauce from Gulfport, Mississippi, from the tamale shack. Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. That's well, what I call I can't, breakfast. I can't beat that, so there was no squash involved? Uh, you know, I have squash in the refrigerator, two kinds. Uh, I have a uh, sautéed squash made from the patty pan. You're not our favorites. Yep. And also had some zucchini squash that Kara baked with cheese and onions and garlic. That was a nice uh, option there. But I didn't I didn't eat the squash this weekend. Um I had those on Friday. You? Well, of course, I made squash casserole. I uh. made uh, Judy Reed squash casserole. Judy's from Greenville. And the thing that's so different about this squash casserole is the, the squash is pureed. Wow. It's not sliced, so right. it gives it a really different consistency. And it was even published in the New York Times. So, you know, I thought, why not publish it? Um, and how was um, your MPB. version? Well, my my version, I pretty much st- stuck to Judy's tried and true version, but it does involve a lot of butter, <laughs> lots of butter, <laughs> and they're crumbled Ritz oh. crackers. So you can just you can just Some imagine. Some of my favorites. That, you know, it's a scary time of year when all the squash is coming in. The yellow squash I hear are often referred to as the kudzu of the garden. Yeah, it's, you know, it's prolific, to say the least. It'll get up and get away from you. Yeah, and it reminds me of a great essay by Robert St. John in his first book, Southern Palate. And 
it was funny because I was thinking about it, and then you texted me, and <laughs> you hadn't read it, but you had heard the I've story. I've heard Robert tell this story a yeah. number of times. Yeah, so uh, I think we've got him on the phone to, to tell our listeners. Hey, Robert St. John, what about that squash? Good morning. How are y'all? <laughs> We're good. We're thinking of squash. Well, <laughs> I'm down. Uh, I'm down in New Orleans, uh, thinking about not growing squash. So, <laughs> they got all I've kind of weird squash there. down there. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. I have uh, I have uh, tried my hand at, at gardening and um, have uh, going to leave that to more competent uh, people. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I, I hear and I've heard you tell and you've written about the, the time you decided to grow yeah. your own squash. Well, I'll tell you, so this is what happened. This is in the late 1990s. And um, I went out to Napa Valley uh, to the Culinary Institute of America out there, uh, which y'all, y'all both know that old Greystone Winery building. It's a beautiful place. And uh, that's their West Coast campus. I know, I know Carol's had a lot to do with them when she was with Viking, and then there's a bunch of Viking kitchens up in there. It's, just, it's a beautiful place. I was doing a flavor dynamics seminar for a week and went out there. And uh, at the time, no one, at least in this part of the world, had really heard of the Garden to the Table movement. It's passe now. You know, everybody's, uh, that's the thing now. But in the late 1990s, you know, unless you lived in a small little country cafe in Mississippi where you were, you know, buying local vegetables, it wasn't a thing. Right. And so uh, what we would do every morning is we would get out, and they had beautiful gardens right outside uh, the door, just meticulously manicured and perfect, and the heirloom vegetables and so all the chefs, we'd be in our chef lights and our totes, and we'd get these wicker baskets, and we would we would go out first thing in the morning into those gardens and pick vegetables. And Robert, um, I've seen herbs. that many times. It's it's the romance of the food business. You know, the fog yeah. would be lifting over the Napa Valley, and men and women, and and they weren't just whites; they were long white aprons and the toques yeah. out there gathering. Yeah, I can like see you. I can visualize it. Yeah, it looks like the cover of a magazine, kind of. Just a, a real, and I romanticized about it. I mean, I fell in love with the concept. It was, it was cool in that Napa morning. You know, you had the, like you said, you know, kind of the fogs, fog rolling over the mountains, and we're walking among the vegetables, picking vegetables, and putting in those wicker bags. I just thought, oh, it's just the most awesome thing ever. Snipping herbs, and we'd go back into those kitchens, and we would uh, prepare all of the things we had picked minutes earlier. And then uh, maybe the best part about all that is that we would eat everything we prepared, uh, you know, a couple hours after that. And and so we did this every day for a week. And on the plane ride back home to Mississippi, I thought, you know, I'm, I'm from Mississippi, man. This is an agrarian society. I am, farming is in our DNA. You know, I'm going to come back. And we're going to be the first ones here at Purple Parrot in Hattiesburg to to bring this garden to the table movement to Mississippi. And so I came back all fired up, and I'm talking to my managers and talking to my chefs. I said, guys, the garden to the table movement is where it's at. We're going to be the first ones in Mississippi doing this in the late 1990s. You know, I'm, and, and I had uh, some land outside of town 
in Covington County. And I went out there and I planted a two-acre garden. And uh, for those listening uh, who who know about gardening, um, a two-acre garden is is massive. Uh, for for someone who has never even put a tomato in a pot on the back porch, <laughs> it's, it's even even more massive. And so, but I mean, I had this thing down. I was ordering electric fence from all over the place. I had the irrigation. Uh, I had tons of heirloom tomatoes and this Japanese eggplant and different varieties of all sorts of things. And I planted four 100-foot rows of squash. (laughs) You know, you know about squash, and everybody listening right now is is just shaking their head, but I had no clue. You know, I just saw Ben. So this this two full acres was filled up. And I tended the garden, and I would go out every day, and I would come back to the restaurant, and I'd tell them, gosh, you know, garden to the table, please. it's going to be us. The plants are coming out of the ground. You know, they're starting to blossom. It's looking great. We're going to be. And I'd come back every day, give them a report, go out to the garden. Well, it's, you could tell the squash was about to, about to come in. And so I went to, went to the store, and I was in two baskets that I was going to pick my vegetables. And I went out there the first morning to pick vegetables and squash had made. And I picked 10 full bushels of squash. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, this is going to be awesome. You know, we're going to save money at the restaurant. We're going to have grown our own stuff. It's local. I mean, all I saw, came back to the restaurant with 10 bushels of squash. I said, guys, it's regard to the table. This is going to be awesome. Everybody's fired up. They're happy to see me. You know, we're trying to find out where we can put all this squash, and we buy maybe a case or two a week. <laughs> and so um, here's the thing. I've, I've got a college degree, and I'm, I'm fairly uh, intelligent. I, I like to think, at least. But I'm not ashamed to admit, <laughs> on the way out to the garden the next morning, my thought process was something like, well, you know, this is good. Uh, you know, squash came in yesterday. I uh, wonder what's going to come in today. And <laughs> that's how ignorant I was about this stuff. And so you know the answer to that. I went back out there, and there was more squash. <laughs> I, I literally thought that when something makes, it makes once, and then that's it. you got squash, and then the next day, you know, you're going to eggplant, and then one day you could tomatoes. I didn't know it. And so I walked out there, and I'm going to tell you, I was, I was a little shocked. I was like, Dang, I'm pretty good at this. I threw a squash twice. <laughs> and so and so I picked more squash, ten bushels. It seemed like more than the first day. Went back and when we're putting squash in the beer cooler at this point. We're trying to figure out, you know, what we can do. Can we you know, we're doing squashes festival today, we're doing fried squash, we're doing stuffed squash, we're doing sauteed squash. Um, I'm trying to figure out how to make squash ice cream. And so the third day, I went out there, and you know what it was? It was more squash. <laughs> and, uh, I, I picked I, uh, close to 10 bushels, I want to say, that next day. It was just 400 feet now of, of solid squash. Um, and the people at the restaurant wouldn't even let me bring it. We said, we got no room. So I went to see my friends, and, uh, and they were happy to see me the first day. But by the second or third day, I was trying to bring them squash, and... And they wouldn't even answer the 
door. So I just kind of dump it on the door, ring the doorbell, you know, and, and run, leave it on the front porch. Squash bandit. Yeah. So how does the story end? Well, unfortunately, everything else started coming in at the same time, and it was just me. And, uh, and I just didn't have the time. I, I can't remember at the time. Maybe we were in another restaurant. Something was going on, and... And I couldn't keep up with it, and I couldn't find anybody to help me with it. And uh, all these great plans for this garden, because here's the thing. You know, when I was out there picking that squash, there was no romantic part about that (laughs) whatsoever. There was no cool fog rolling over the the Napa Hills. It was hot. It was Mississippi in summertime hot. And those squats. And there were snakes. And there was nothing like Napa Valley happening in my garden in Covington County, Mississippi. And that squash gets itchy. Yeah, it does. So do you have a garden this summer, Robert? I do not. (laughs) I tried a couple of times after that. I had a guy that was going to help me if we were going to do it. I still believe in that. And and, and what what I believe now is that there are people who are talented and um and meant to to grow food i'm I'm one of those that is meant to cook food and especially meant to eat food and serve food but um I need to rely on those who are much more talented who have the talent and passion to grow food, especially locally and so we source anything we can locally we you know I, y'all as y'all know i'm a big big proponent of of eating local and buying local and living local but um, you know, these days, you know, it's 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 not as easy in the restaurant business as you would think. I mean, you've got you've got people out there growing stuff, but but you got to work to get it because they're um, they're overworked as well, and they're right. doing everything they can to just just keep up. But well, Robert, we appreciate you calling in and sharing your squash escapades. If you have a squash story you want to share with us, a squash recipe. Uh, Next on the line, we're going to have Robbie Sullivan calling in from the Mississippi Farmer's Market. If you have a question, you have a suggestion, you want to just give us a shout-out, it's 1-877-672-7464 or food at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White. I'm here with Carol Puckett. Hey, Carol. Hey, Mal. What about it? So we got a lot of uh, info there from Robert St. John's uh, squash growing escapades, and it sounds like he was overwhelmed. And uh, what a great story. What a great guy. Oh, by the way, we got uh, got an email from uh, Mary Glass, uh, and she had a question about where to find the recipes that we post uh, that we talk about. And I want to share that with everybody. You just go to Deep South Dining dot mpbonline.org and that's where all the recipes and the, and the things that you share with us uh, are again deep south dining dot mpbonline.org org and we try to post the recipes either the day or the day after 
the show. Yeah. So if you're looking for the stuff we talk about, that's where it is. Also, if you have a food event, uh, if you uh, have a barbecue or a cakewalk or a fish fry that you're promoting in your community, your town, and it's a, for a good cause, please uh, email that to us and we'll promote it. This past weekend, we had a barbecue at Star, Mississippi for the volunteer f- uh, fire department. And that's the sort of thing that we want to share with other people. Tamale festivals, chili cook-offs, barbecues, whatever's going on in your community and all around the state, just shoot us an email and we'll be happy to post it, talk about it uh, here on the air and promote food events. So also, Carol, you said that something happened to the Donut Man? What? Well, there were a couple of food events this week. Um, the na- the National Donut Championship was held in Austin. It was actually held on National Donut Day. Okay. And you know those donuts, those little bitty donuts with powdered sugar. I mean, they look like oh, yeah, they're the like little a, small ones. They're like a baby donut. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they had the the annual contest moves around the country, and it was in Austin this week. And the big news was the former champion, Joey Chestnut, Hmm. was unseated by a guy in Boston. And uh, Joey only ate 200 donuts in six minutes. Um, And Jeffrey Esper from from Boston ate 235. And that's your donut news. That's the the donut news. And sometimes check out Joey Chestnut on YouTube. The guy's a a beast at these contests. I, I saw him practicing for the hot dog contest <laughs> joy what a way to go you know all right we're gonna uh now we're gonna talk we go back to farmer markets and fruit stands and uh, uh truck patches as i like to call them when i was growing up people used to refer to the truck patch and i, I didn't know what that was so i looked it up and it's a it's a small garden in the side of your yard usually used for domestic purposes and also for barter and trade has nothing to do with the truck itself or transportation or wheels. That's a, a, a truck farmer. But a truck patch is a, it's, it's derived from a French word, which means uh, to barter or share. And it's the small garden in the side yard, not the one like Robert St. John was talking about, where you grow your own vegetables and share with your neighbors and friends and family and maybe barter a little on the side. Who knew? That's great news. I've always thought it was people who had trucks on the roadside, but it's actually a French word. Or it's a derivation of the French word. That's right. Which I don't know that word, but... uh, because I've forgotten it. But either way, now we're going to go back to the phones, and we're going to talk to Robbie Sullivan. Robbie uh, runs our Mississippi Farmers Market in downtown Jackson, and we want to hear from Robbie about what's coming in, what's going on, what's going out, and what the general nature is uh, down at the Mississippi Farmers Market. Hey, Robbie. How are y'all this morning? We're swell. How about you? You've had a long weekend. Yeah, yes, it is starting to come in. I heard your segment on the squash, and that's we definitely have a squash. <laughs> How many varieties of squash y'all got down there, would you say? Right now we have about um, six different ones, and then I would say they would be up to around 12 to 15 different types throughout the summer and then over in the fall. So a lot of different types of squash. What about your peas and your beans and such? Are they coming in? They are coming in. The uh, snap beans are coming in, like the Louisiana purples and the rattlesnake beans are in. Um, and uh, now the peas will be just a little bit later, uh, a few more weeks, and they'll they'll be coming on in pretty good. Um, but the the beans are in now, and they'll just get more and more as the summer goes on. 
Well, what about Mississippi tomatoes? Everybody's waiting. Yes, ma'am. We have uh, a few that are coming in, field-grown tomatoes um, that are in now, a couple different varieties, the early varieties. Uh, we also have a couple of uh, farmers that do the hydroponic-grown uh, tomatoes and, like, the Cherokee purples and those type things. That are, people really they like those as well this time of the year. So, Robbie, what's the deal with Smith County? Why are we so? Why do we so highly prize the Smith County watermelons, the Smith County tomatoes? What's going on in Smith County? Well, I think they just uh, they have a corner on the market. It sounds like if you have, Smith <laughs> County is what everybody looks for, but uh, I think it has a lot to do with the soil types there in Smith County. Um, they just they have the right type soils to grow those those type crops and um and they do real well with them the watermelons are probably not quite time maybe another week week and a half um you know that i've heard a few people saying they're getting some in but we we don't have any just yet at the market from smith county we'll probably another week to two weeks we'll start having a few coming in now, Carol, you go over to Vicksburg to the farmer's market Yeah, I go to Vicksburg. Actually, I, I went to Jackson this week. Oh, and, and, Robbie, y'all really have a lot of stuff. And, and one, of the, one of the questions I have for you is where do your farmers come from? I was very surprised to see a farmer from Pontotoc this yes, this weekend we and do. he said said they drive down uh, every weekend so it made me think you must be getting people from all over we do we have farmers from all over the state um, as as far south of course as, as Smith County you have several farmers that have come up you know from Smith County and then Pontotoc up in that area is probably as far north as we go which that's a, that's a long ride down but um, but it's because our market is is well known and we have excellent customers that come in on a, a regular basis and they know uh, good produce and uh, so we try to keep good quality produce in, in stock so we have farmers uh, from Vicksburg from Morton um, there locally of course we have a couple of farmers that are there actually in the city of Jackson that do the urban type garden so um, just have a kind of a variety of, of farmers that come in. And besides vegetables, you guys also have meat products, uh, you have eggs, you have some seafood from time to time, honey, handmade goods. I've seen uh, cakes and soaps and all bread. sorts of stuff and bread, yeah, and flowers. That's right, yeah. We have a, a good selection, like, say, the uh, the meat uh, vendors that come in. Uh, they have just a, a variety of different meat products. Um, you know, they have some specialty stuff that they do. I uh, have one uh, vendor that does the... Uh, beef tri-tip roast, uh, which a lot of people look for, and then we have a vendor that actually carries lamb. Uh, so I have, have a lot of different variety there as far as the vendors, and then, of course, like you said, the bread vendors, and I uh, have a, even a coffee vendor and uh, a couple of vendors that sell the honey, local honey. So have a good variety, and, of course, we have some folks that do the uh, artisans that do their local crafts and stuff as well. So. Well, Robbie, one, another thing I was wondering is what what are the regulations? What type of of, of uh, produce do you allow? Does it all have to be grown in Mississippi, or can people bring yes, it in? Yes, ma'am. We we have a couple of different categories, but the uh, the farmers fall under one category, of course, and the produce that they grow um, has to be 
grown here in Mississippi. Um, now, they can partner with another farmer. Say if a farmer, we have one guy that does nothing but peaches, and he doesn't have time to come to the market as much, so he partners, co-ops with another farmer, and that farmer sells his you know, local peaches. But um, it all has to, to be Mississippi-grown items that are brought into the market there. And you also, besides selling raw products, uh, you also have a restaurant down at the market, the Farmer's Table, I believe it's called? That's right. The Farmer's Table, they're open Tuesday through Saturday for breakfast and lunch. Um, that's actually not, we lease that out to them, and they, but they also use the local uh, produce and, and the meat products. Of course, the local produce, as it's in season, they use as much as they can in their uh, different um, meals and stuff, so uh, it's, it's a good way to come in and taste some of the produce that's actually sold at the market, you know, there at the farmer's table. Yeah, and, God, what a great advantage for them sitting right next to all those vendors on a weekly that's, basis. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it definitely makes it easy. They go shopping for sure. What do you consider the sort of height, the pinnacle of the market? What months were, is it just on fire and you, you're getting more stuff than, than, than ordinarily so? It, it really starts around this time of the year, the end of May, first part of June, through through the end of August. Um, you know, this time of the year, especially in June, we'll start having the blackberries, blueberries coming in, peaches. Um, you know, that's that's when they start coming in. Um, and then, of course, the watermelons, as they start coming in the middle of June to the end of June. Um, that's, that's really the, the busier months. Now, we're open year-round on Saturdays from 8 to 1, but... Um, but the main time, you know, as far as the produce, then it'll pick back up in the fall. You know, once we get those fall crops on the ground, um, it'll pick back up with this different variety of produce, but um, something that you can take home and cook up, you know, any time of the year just about. So you have really two seasons, but you're open year-round. Is that right? That's correct, yes, sir. We're open year-round um, on Saturdays, and then this time of the year we're open on Thursdays uh, from 8 to 1. This coming Thursday actually will be our kickoff for the Thursday market, and we also will have our uh, state employee day at the market um, because the Mississippi Farmers Market is part of the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, so we try to support the state employees, you know, coming to the market. This will actually be the eighth annual um, state employee day at the market this year. And when is state employee day, Robbie? That's this this Thursday. Um, It'll actually, the market will be open from 8 to 1. We'll have farmers there you know, throughout the day, but we'll also have some, uh, like, a health fair from 10 to 1 mm-hmm. um, where those those guys will come in and get information. It's uh, sponsored by the State Employee Wellness Program and then the Mississippi Business Group on Health. They help us with that, and it just gives a good way because we have a lot of state employees, of course, that work downtown Jackson, so uh, it's a good way for them to come in and, and learn what, where to get local produce, fresh produce. And do you have a website or information where people can get more uh, knowledge about what's going on at the farmer's market, sort of keep up with, with what's in, what's out? Yes, we have the uh, um, Mississippi Department of Ag website, which is um, uh, mdac.ms.gov, and you can go under there and go to the Mississippi Farmer's Market tab, and then that'll kind of give you the hours and uh it also has a place on there where you can see what's fresh. We send out a newsletter each week uh, and let people know what's you know what's going to be at the market, and that can be found there. And then you also can go to our Facebook page, Mississippi Farmers Market, on Facebook, and um, 
you know, we have a team in the marketing department that does a great job on uh, letting people know what's at the market, you know, what's going on at the market. So those those two are probably the best ways to find out what's going on at the farmer's market. Well, Robbie, we appreciate you joining us. It is Robbie, Robbie Sullivan with the Mississippi Farmer's Market, uh, open down at the uh, Mississippi Fairgrounds. Uh, if you want to check out what's going on with the Mississippi produce around the Jackson area, thank Robbie for tuning in, joining us on the phone. We'll be back uh, shortly. We're going to talk to Sherry Castle. Sherry is an expert uh, about vegetables. She lives in North Carolina. She's a friend of Carol's, and she's joining us on the phone. She's going to tell us all about what's going on with her. She's recently had a nice piece in Southern Living. But if you want to call us, talk to us, ask questions, give advice, one 672 or email us at food at mpbonline.org. Stay tuned. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with my great friend, Carol Puckett. Carol, glad to see you this morning. Same to you, Mal. It's Monday morning, and I know a lot of people are busy on Mondays. And if you can't listen to our entire show live, you can always catch us on our website. Uh, listen to the podcast at mpbonline.org slash Dining. Or, in fact, you can subscribe to the podcast using the MPB public media app or any of the podcast apps. So if you can't stay with us the full hour, you can always check us out later. And remember, you can go online, post recipes, look at what's going on, deepsouthdining.mpbonline.org if you want to check out what's happening there. That's a lot of dots. A lot of dotting. Yeah, a lot of squash, too. Yeah. (laughs) It's been a morning full of squash. We've been talking a lot about squash, but there are other vegetables. Indeed. uh, Besides squash, and uh, our next guest is a a vegetable expert, and uh, she writes books and articles and makes public addresses concerning the lowly vegetable, the the, really the— the mainstay of the Southern diet, the vegetable, it's not lowly at all. It's actually quite quite the uh, important ingredient. And it was the thing that our mothers made us eat. Yeah, growing up, yeah. all these things I thought I hated. Uh, yeah. And I guess I only hated them because they tried, to make, them. they tried to make me eat them. I know. You know, children, they, they come around when they come around. Vegetables are good for you. Don't say that. <laughs> but anyway, it's been a, a morning full of vegetable talk, uh, talking about squash and tomatoes and, you know, watermelons. The nightshades, Carol, the nightshades. The nightshades. This You're is the nightshade. <laughs> the nightshade family. Used to be my enemy, now my friend. I love all nightshades. But we, uh, we have on the phone uh, your buddy from up in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and queen, first, the queen of vegetables. The queen of vegetables. Uh, I, I first met Sherry uh, a number of years ago at the Southern Foodways Symposium in Oxford, Mississippi, and have followed her career and her writing. She is a cookbook writer, has helped other people write their cookbooks. But she has she wrote my favorite vegetable cookbook. It uh-huh. is called The New Southern Garden Cookbook. It's 400 pages of Southern Garden, and good morning, Sherry. Good morning, my friends. I'm so happy to be with you today. We're happy you're here. Well, Sherry, I had asked you to talk a little bit about 
peas and beans because we have them coming in right now, and I consider you a pea and bean expert. Well, thank you. I, I do enjoy them. If somebody said, what's your favorite vegetable, that's probably the category I would put up there for the most because there's the most diversity in it. There's just dozens, if not hundreds, of different kinds of field peas in beans in the South. There's some that we all know, and then there's those little gems that you find only in your hometown or your farmer's market, and they make me happy, too. Can you name a few of those little gems that, that are off the sort of beaten track? And, well, well, they are, well, this was not necessarily off the beaten track, but there's lady peas, those uh-huh. tiny little snow white field peas. I call the empress of all peas because, you know, they, they, they're polite and they look good and everything. But then there's the field peas that people gave names to because it's what their family or the people in their, at their church called them, you know, like rattlesnake beans or old mother hubbards or yellow eye or things like that. Just little nicknames for what is part of the overall family of field peas. And, you know, a lot of folks think that the only field pea there is is a black-eyed pea, but there's, no. so many, there's so many others. And, you know, and not to offend anybody that loves black-eyed peas, because there is a time and a place for them, but sometimes <laughs> I think of them as being a little bit like a red, delicious apple. They're the most common, but not necessarily the best ones out there. And do all peas make good salads as well as side dishes? They do. They do indeed. If you look, you know, because a lot of us just grew up with a pot of peas, you know, just a pot of peas. But if you think of them as more of a pea or a bean, you can add them to salads. You can make them into little pea cakes. You can put them part of a vegetable soup. One of my favorite things is to stir them into a little um, marinated salad, almost like a salsa or a relish or mm. something like that. A really kind of common description of that is Texas caviar or pea dip or something. Right. But there's a lot you can do with them. They freeze great. You can mash them up and make hummus, a bit like a dip out of them. Oh, there's I've seen a llama bean or butter bean hummus before. That's Oh, it, it, it's wonderful. You basically just, you know, take whatever hummus recipe you might have or your notion of it instead of using canned chickpeas you use some freshly cooked either butter beans or field peas or something and it's delicious and it's popular it's a way of making people re-examine something they thought they already knew all there was to know sherry talk to us a little bit about uh string beans and pole beans Yes. Now, I currently live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but I am from the mountains of North Carolina, and there's probably no place in the in the whole country, certainly in the South, that takes beans, string beans and pole beans and all those things more seriously than the mountains. So, in other words, I'm about to get on my soapbox, okay? <laughs> there are, broadly speaking, very broadly speaking, two categories of beans. One kind has strings and the other doesn't. And what has happened in recent years between what you find in grocery stores that, you know, usually carry the most common, kind of almost the least common denominator of something. And, um, and we have got, in restaurants, we mainly now think of beans as these long, thin, tender, green things with no strings, and we consider them a fresh vegetable. And they can be good. You know, we, they're better not cooked too long and so forth. And then you've got the old-timey beans, the original beans, that were grown not to eat as a green vegetable, but as a source of protein. You let them stay on the vines till they got 
full, full of the beans on the inside. The holes were there to hold the beans together, and they have strings, and they're a much hardier bean. And that's the ones that to make them taste perfect, to make all the nutrients available, to do them right, so to speak, you've got to cook them until they're fully tender. Mm -hmm. And that's where the trouble started, is you had people that knew how to successfully cook a pole bean, those long, bumpy, thick-skinned string beans, until they were tender. And then they did that to those little flimsy city beans, and they turned into mush. And I think that that's where we got that awful reputation of overcooking our beans is we were applying the wrong process to the wrong kind of bean. I like to tell people it's the difference between searing or grilling a lean steak and slowly braising a pot roast. They're both the right ways to to cook beef, but you're using different cuts. And those beans are just separate from one another. Our guest is Sherry Castle, and Sherry's from North Carolina, but she is, as Carol says, the queen of vegetables. I had a couple of bean questions. What, what, is, a, hear what is a cut bean, and what is a waxed bean? Uh, those are sort of nicknames. When you see in a recipe for something for a wax bean, what they're generally referring to is one of those pale yellow beans. It's shaped like a green bean. They don't mm-hmm. have strings. They're tender, but they're a beautiful pale yellow color. Right. But then there are, in some communities, they use the word wax or greasy bean. That's a term you might hear a lot. And it's not that you cook them in grease. It's that there is a natural kind of oily sheen, a shininess to the pods that make them look like they're a little bit oily or a little bit dipped in wax. And so that's a different thing. If you go to a farmer's market and somebody's got a bushel of greasy beans or wax beans, it's probably not those yellow ones. It's probably an old-timey, thick-potted bean that has that sheen to them in the pod. Great. Well, if you are, in fact, the queen of vegetables, you must also Mm -hmm. be the potentate of pot liquor. So talk to us about pot liquor. Pot liquor. What pot liquor is, essentially, is it is a highly seasoned, nutrient-rich broth that you have either cooked vegetables in or is the byproduct of cooking vegetables. And a lot of people say that, you know, the point of cooking a pot of greens or peas or something is to get that pot liquor, and it is true that when it's done right, it is a delicious thing. And it is full of flavor. It is full of nutrients. There's actually, if you go back, I mean, way back, there are written records of people who's um, raising babies who's, who didn't have a mom or weren't able to nurse them, um, letting them sip pot liquor. So it's kind of like vitamins, you know. Um, but the pot liquor, it, it needs to not be too salty, too fatty, but it will come out being the most balanced, delicious, mm. clear vegetable soup you've ever seen. And some people put it in the bowl. Some people serve it later. You know, there used to be little ladies that had bouillon cubes, uh, cups, rather, bouillon cups in their china set, and they'd serve their pot liquor in the china cups. And, you know, I think that's probably appropriate respect because it would fall out of a champagne glass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring back pot liquor as a yeah. gourmet, gourmet dish. We, you make a T-shirt. Exactly. Bring back pot liquor because it is um, it is one of the hallmarks of classic and, you know, southern cooking, and it's misunderstood. I think it's because maybe we call it pot liquor that it sort of seems lowbrow. No, anybody that can craft a proper pot of pot liquor is as fine a chef as they come. 
All right, Sherry, we're going to ask you to hang on and, and join us in the final section. If you can, don't go away. I'd be happy to. We want to talk more about peas, beans, pot liquor. And uh, I think our, our producer, Java Chapman, was raised on pot liquor. He has lit up in there like a Christmas tree when we start talking about pot liquor. So we'll be right back and talk to Sherry Castle more about vegetables and uh, things that are in, growing in your garden and in your yard. If you're interested in calling us, one 877 672-7464 or email at food at mpbonline.org We'll be right back with Carol and Sherry and more about pot liquor. Welcome back to Deep South Dining. I'm Malcolm White here with Carol Puckett and man are we having fun talking about peas and beans and squash and tomatoes and all those things that grow in our yards and gardens and truck patches and at the markets and the roadside stands. Yes, and we want to thank Sherry Castle. Boy, does she have a lot of information. Yeah, I'm glad you and Sherry are friends. Yeah. And we've got this book here. Not only is her book entitled The New Southern Garden Cookbook, but it's also, in, in, I guess, subtitled Enjoying the Best from Homegrown Gardens, Farmers Markets, Roadside Stands, and CSA Farm Boxes. That's Sherry, a mouthful. You want to tell us what a CSA Farm Box is? Mm-hmm. It stands for Community Supported Agriculture, but what it is is one of those subscription services that a lot of communities offer where instead of the you going to the farmer's market, the farmer's market comes to you where they will deliver a box of weekly produce. Some of them are all produce. Some have started adding some other local things like cheese or honey or bread or things, but it's a delivery service, and it really works well for busy people that want that local produce but maybe don't have the lifestyle or the schedule or something to go get it, and it comes right to your own house. Some places you pick them up, like at a school or a parking lot or your place of work, but a lot of them deliver right to your house. So Carol and I were scratching our proverbial heads earlier today, uh, wondering if Mississippi, if Jackson, Oxford, the coast, if if there are boxes, uh, subscription boxes. Yeah, if anybody has has a CSA program, and, you know, what it does, it gives the farmer steady income. Mm -hmm. Uh So they Uh know you know, what they can sell and, you know, what they can plant. It's, it's a great service to the farmers. And, you know, another thing I've noticed in some parts of the world is uh, farmers will take produce out and put them in a little handmade stand out by the road and have an honor box, mm-hmm. which I oh, think is super cool. We do that here, too. I love that. I love it. It always makes me feel better about things, just in general. There's still a place that you can have an honor box, and people abide by that. Um, Sherry, I have a, a couple of things I wanted to uh, to ask you. Uh, first of all, I saw that you had a eight page spread in Southern Living in May, and there was a recipe in there that really caught my eye, and I'd like to share it with our listeners if it's okay uh-huh. with you. But it was uh-huh. a field pea and tomato salad with a lemon vinaigrette. And and I believe you use lady peas. Tell tell me a little bit about that recipe. And it was it, so beautiful on a platter. Oh, it is it is a gorgeous recipe. It's like a, it's like a, a a platter of gemstones. You've got the pretty little white peas. You've got the colorful tomatoes. There's some fresh herbs, and it is you cook the peas. And I will say that the uh, the peas are cooked in an herb broth. A lot of us 
or a lot of people were raised on pots and peas that were basically water, salt, and a piece of fat back or something. And it's not that that's not delicious. It's just that you don't automatically have to put a pork product in peas. These get their flavor from some onions, some bay leaf, peppercorns, you know, easy to find herbs. Then you drain them off and you dress them in a vinaigrette. Um, they need something kind of bright and sprightly. So this is a lemon juice and olive oil vinaigrette and then delicious tomatoes and some fresh herbs. Mm. And it is, you know, it's a pot of peas and summer tomatoes in a way maybe you've not thought about it. It keeps in the fridge well for several days. And a lot of times in the summer when we have a lot of what I call vegetable plate suppers, you know, when it is just a bunch of different vegetables, I'll make a cake of cornbread or maybe some biscuits and split it and ladle this over the top. And it's just wonderful. I can taste it all the way from North Carolina. And for our listeners, you can go on Sherry Castle's website. We've got a lot of dots here, but SherryCastle.com. And I think you you have a section that has recent things that you've written. And you can also go to the Southern Living website. And the reason you need to do that is just to see the beauty of the photograph, the beautiful platter uh, with the with the tomatoes and field peas. Okay. I appreciate you telling them about that. And there's some other recipes, too. They can just click right along and look at them all. So a listener has just texted me to inform me that Footprint Farms in Jackson and Two Dog Farms in Flora both have CSA programs. So we know of two Footprints in Jackson and Two Dog Farms in Flora that have the uh, CSA program. If you know of others, please text and let us know. All right, we've got a caller from Philadelphia. That's Philadelphia, Mississippi, over in the east part of our state with a recipe for pot liquor cornbread or pot liquor bread. Hey, Luke, what's happening? Yes, sir, thanks. What you got? My mother used to make uh, pot liquor bread in greens, and it was it would be white. It looked The way I remember it, it was like probably like a, or fried in a skillet. Uh-huh. I don't know if it was just uh-huh. meal and water or what, but it would it wouldn't dissolve. It would be soaked a little bit in the edges, and you'd have to break off a piece with a fork. I think I may know what that is. Tell us about it, Sherry. Okay, if I make a guess. Oh, please. It is, it's a form of hot water cornbread where you don't bake it in a skillet or in a pan, but you, you do make fritters. And instead of putting the hot water for the liquid, you put some of your hot boiling pot liquor in there and then just made little fritter cakes out of it. And they're, you know, they're a little bit chewy. They get a little lacy on the edges depending on how you fry them. But that's why it's essentially, like I said, hot water cornbread fritter or corn cake, but you put the pot liquor in it instead now what they do here in eastern north carolina that is similar but was new to me because you know the south is a lot of different places we don't necessarily eat the same thing they would take a pot of beans or a pot of peas or greens or something with pot liquor and would make cornbread dumplings and float them on the top like Uh, we would float dumplings for chicken like chicken dumplings girl make cornbread dumplings in the pot liquor and it'll eat let me tell you it's a fine thing malcolm and java are having you know wow wow that 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 sounds good and uh look i just got another text from a listener who said i was raised with a backyard garden in west jackson dad and i would grow the vegetables and give them away to neighbors in the spring a man with a mule-drawn wagon would come by and break up the ground 
with a plow and his mule. Dad would make fr- would pick the fresh vegetables each morning very early, and we'd have fresh vegetables for lunch and supper right there in West Jackson. I'm so hungry. Isn't that wonderful? It I is. Know, and you know, in recent years, you know, there's all this movement, and it's a good movement about eating local and eating with the seasons and stuff. Many of us were raised that way. We didn't know we were eating a food trend. We were just eating supper out of the yard because it doesn't get more seasonal or local than going out the back door. Right. It's a great way to eat. Absolutely. So, again, your uh, Sherry's cookbook uh, is entitled The Southern Garden Cookbook, subtitled, very long, very detailed, but good stuff. And if you have questions, she has a website. Carrie, you want to tell us again about how they can reach Sherry? SherryCastle.com, and that's S-H-E-R-I, Castle. Ah, uh-huh. A little dot over it. Gotcha. Anything you would like to leave us uh, uh, as we uh, wrap up here, Sherry? We do appreciate your your being on call and being available. This has been a joy having you on the show. Uh, tell us what's going on in your world. Well, I'm just cooking vegetables. I'm doing starting some videos on how to cook from farmers markets, writing for magazines, and mainly just going out and seeing what there is in the world, seeing what I've never seen before that looks like what I know, but it's going to be a new frontier, and I hope your listeners will do that, too. Go buy a pot of peas. <laughs> and make some pot liquor. I'm going to be putting up Lady Peas on Thursday. Oh, so are you? I'll, I'll bring you some. Do you freeze them or can them? I, I freeze them. I'm, I'm going to uh, have a yep. Lady Pea day with my friend Donna Barksdale, and we're mm-hmm. going to put up two bushels of lady peas and a bushel of butter beans. Wow. And I'll bring you some mail. I hope so. Uh, well, I've got to see how I can get in on that action. That <laughs> well, Sherry, thanks a million for uh, being our guest today. Um, it has been a fun show. Robbie Sullivan from the Mississippi Farmers Market has joined us. Um, we've, your call is calls have always been helpful to us this is deep south dining we are a production of mississippi public broadcasting's think radio our producer is java chapman please stay tuned for marshall ramsey and now you're talking and southern remedy this is malcolm white with my co-host carol puckett we'll see you next monday at nine o'clock in the morning for deep south dining on mississippi public broadcasting think radio